Welcome, I am your host, and this is the Unanswered Questions Podcast. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of my new podcast, Unanswered Questions, where every week we will endeavour to discuss a mysterious unsolved case that has many lingering unanswered questions. So I hope you enjoy, and as always, leave me some feedback on what you think about the show, and rate it as well. Now on to the show. This week we'll be talking about the Lake City Quiet Pills Reddit internet mystery. So in 2009, an anonymous Reddit user passed away. A friend created an account on Reddit to announce their passing. But curious Redditors found these two strangers linked to a bizarre mystery named Lake City Quiet Pills. Reddit is a website that bills itself as the front page of the internet in many ways it is for those that use it, becoming one of the most popular websites in the entire world. The R Jailbait is a subreddit that contained drug use, illegal pirating, white nationalists, or even child porn on Reddit. The U Jailbait subreddit had attracted thousands of followers in the years leading up to this mysterious mystery becoming mainstream. One of the users who went by the name You Religion of Peace acted as a moderator of the R Jailbait subreddit. You Religion of Peace seemed to condone marijuana usage and in posts on several news and political subreddits. He expressed knowledge of many military subjects and violence. For instance, one Reddit post he made references and talked in quite a lot of detail that he knew about what kind of piano wire could kill someone. This user introduced a website name, Lake City Quiet Pills, with the title This Old Guy's Image Host. Some Redditors also used this website as an image storage cloud because there was no Google Drive or Google Photos in 2009. In one of the last comments of You Religion of Peace, he stated, and I quote, I can think of any number of criminal organizations that would benefit from a dose of Lake City Quiet Pills. End quote. Now, Your Religion of Peace claimed that he'd been born in 1930, had enlisted in the US military at the age of 14, took part in the Battle of Normandy, and came to Jerusalem in 47, which the mass doesn't add up, neither does the story about him enlisting in the US military at age 14. Now, Your Religion of Peace also claimed to have retired from the military in 1987 to work in a computer-related field. That is why he was on Reddit all, all of the time at that moment. By the end of 2009, Lake City Quiet Pills of Your Religion of Peace was full of pornographic material, saved by many Redditors. On July 17th of 2009, You Religion of Peace made his last comment on Reddit. 13 hours after the last comment from You Religion of Peace, a Reddit account U26 was created and posted that You Religion of Peace had died. U26 revealed that You Religion of Peace's real name was Milo, was 79 years old, didn't have any living relatives, and no real friends. Despite containing a variety of spelling and grammatical errors, this post received a pretty emotional response by dozens of Redditors. U26 replied to some comments. Four days later, on July 21st of 2009, U26 posted a link of Google Maps and said that was the final resting place of U Religion of Peace in Pennsylvania. Now I'm going to read the actual Reddit post itself. So, the end of Religion of Peace. He died today. I'm the person who provided Religion of Peace the space for the old guy's image host. Milo died today. He was 79 years old. He died at his desk looking at your site. Milo was a mean old fucker. Mean and ornery. He hooked me up with my first gig when I got out of the army. 
I didn't like finding him like that. Milo don't have any living relatives and no real friends, and other than his landlady and a few people where he worked, he didn't talk to anyone about much of anything. Me, he just tolerated. As I said, he was mean. I think he used it as a shield to keep people away from him. Milo thought God was some kind of con game thought up by some lazy sons of bitches who didn't want to work every day. So he's going to the fire on Monday without a service, just like he wanted. I'm planning to dump his ashes in the woods in PA near where he was born. Can't put them right there because there's a mall there now. I gave the girl next door his raggedy old cat and most of his books. His computers and Tronic shitty tagged for the disabled vets in VVA. All the rest of the stuff is for the Salvation Army. All those years and everything he owned fits in the trunk of my car. I don't know what else to say. I'll miss him. Miserable bastard. End quote. Now, this is where the story should have ended. However, it was only just the beginning of something much larger in size and scope than anyone at that time could ever have foreseen. A Reddit user passed away, a friend created an account to let other Redditors know about their passing, and then everyone moves on. But, some users began looking into the trail of breadcrumbs left behind by these two Reddit accounts, both you Religion of Peace and this new user, U26. They seemed to have a relationship, but it wasn't really known at that time. Over the next several months, Redditors began to uncover a story that was every bit as confusing as it was intriguing. I'll try my best to explain it, but fair warning, it gets a lot weirder and crazier from this point forward. So some Redditors found a similar sounding username, Angel26, on a website named Fark. Now, Fark as I understand it was a precursor to other sites like Reddit. Coincidentally, the account Angel26 on FARC was created on October 11th, 2001 and linked to an email address angel.2.6 at lakecityquietpills.com. On FARC, Angel26 had commented primarily about rifles, ammunition and weaponry. Like you, Religion of Peace, this user seemed to have a history of military service and commented primarily about violence and shooting. Reddit users reasonably surmised that the users U26 and Angel26 were the same, based on the constant spelling and grammar mistakes across all accounts. They constantly put the apostrophe in the word didn't after the second D instead of the N. They spelled no, K-N-O-W, as in the knowledge of form of K-N-O-W is N-O, and they misspelled a variety of other rather easy words such as is tolerated or friend. But several Redditors remained, even at this point, convinced that the entire thing was a hoax. Website LakeCityQuietPools.com was still working and was attracting more users than ever because of the death of You Religion of Peace, which happens when something like this becomes viral. I mean, curiosity makes people interested in something, so more and more people were using the Lake City Quiet Pills website as an image host. Now, some people explored the site's underlying HTML code and found some hidden codes which looked like hidden messages with dates, months, and years, which showed a bizarre story. And this is where this case gets really, really interesting and people started to kind of suspect that there was something more going on with this website than really met the eye because on its surface Lake City Quiet Pills was little more than an image hosting site which hosted hundreds of pornographic images but hidden underneath the website was something else entirely. I mean hidden inside the site's HTML code was a motto and I quote, dispensing Lake City Quiet Pills to lousy bastards in need of permanent rest since 1968, end quote. Now underneath this motto was a random smattering of information which included names and acronyms which still aren't clear today. Quote, Shade is maintaining the calendar and access to the file dump. Angel has the job postings for EU and Asia. We aren't sending anyone to ME. No one. Don't ask for listings. 
Shade? Well, that's a new name. But Angel? Now that sounds a lot like Angel 2.6, aka Reddit user 2.6. EU and Asia are pretty easy to figure out, Europe and Asia. But the meaning of ME has remained in debate for some time. Some believe it's meant to mean or might mean Middle East. Other messages were what looked like job listings, which detailed requirements that sound an awful lot like mercenary or assassin work. For example, here are a few of them. Quote, immediate need, 8 to 10 ch Chinese, Korean, fluent Korean, dialect, accent, details after contact, 12-week half-pay sequester on refusal, two ground types, fluent Farsi, Arabic, French, no papers, no problems, need formed group, 8 to 10, single op, deliver bonus, gentleman's agreement, assurance, immediate need, end quote. This website's HTML code was full of these, which seemed to have no other explanation other than for being for military contractors, maybe not necessarily mercenaries or assassins work, but perhaps defense contractors and bodyguards. These are just a few examples of the dozens of these postings which were hidden in the HTML code of LakeCityQuietPills.com. It was heavily speculated that You Religion of Peace might have been working on a website that doubled as a job posting site for hitmen, assassins, military contractors, black ops, and even wet work. Over the next few months, people involved with the site continued to post the strange hidden job postings from before. Here are a few more. Quote, immediate need, four Korean, fluent Korean, dialect, accent, details after contact, six-week half-pay sequester on refusal, six MO gig bonus, two business class security, non-cons, fluent French required, two light surveillance, no USWW, no Mex WW. Now, the WW was suspected of being wants or warrants, meaning the person hired for the job had to have no record or be wanted by any law enforcement, although this is still debated, even today. The HTML code of Lake City Quiet Pills were revealed on Reddit, with many people poring over them trying to make sense of just what all this meant. Now we come to the meaning of the name Lake City Quiet Pills. So, Redditors began pointing out a government-owned and operated ammunition plant based out of Independence, Missouri, named the Lake City Ammunition Plant. It had been created by Remington Arms back in 1941, where it began manufacturing and testing small arms for the US military. Since 1941, the Lake City Ammunition Plant, also called the Lake City Arsenal, has remained in continuous operation. To this day, it produces nearly 1.4 billion rounds of ammo each and every year, remaining the single largest producer of small arms ammunition for the US Armed Forces. It is unknown if there's any connection between this plant and the website Lake City Quiet Pills, but the name doesn't seem coincidental. Quiet Pills other bullets manufactured at this facility. Now, I've never known bullets to be referred to as quiet pills. That, to me, is something brand new to me that I had absolutely no idea. Until I researched this particular mystery and this particular internet mystery and Reddit mystery, I had no idea that bullets were actually referred to as quiet pills. I think it's quite an interesting name to give bullets. But the mystery continues on because in a message inside the HTML code dated the same day as the death of You Religion of Peace, which was announced to Reddit on July 17th of 2009, it read, I'm sorry to tell you that old Milo died yesterday. He went quiet and calm, not like we all figured. I gave that fat mangy cat of his to the little girl next door. No service or nothing, you know Milo. I'm taking his ashes back to where his farm was. Close to it anyway. There's a mall where his place was. So hoist a few for the old man. Remember what he said. Keep with the man who's got your back. End quote. Now, based on a couple of misspellings in this post, people investigating this reasonably surmised that this post was written by Angel26, a.k.a. U26. On September 30th of 2009, more than two months later, this person posted, and I quote, For those who have asked, I bricked Milo's iron key the same day. All is well. 
end quote. Now, it was implied by this that there was incriminating information on Milo's hard drive, which now no longer exists. Now, the part about the iron key is of great significance because an iron key just isn't an ordinary USB. It's actually a very secure USB stick. Specifically, the device provides XTS AES 256-bit encryption. In addition, it is FIPS 122 Level 3 certified. Now, this means, for the basic layman, that even the US government trusts the encryption and hardware security. So it's really a battleship hardened storage device that fits in your pocket. It can also be set up in a way that it will wipe all data on it if the password is entered incorrectly too many times. This USB is also very pricey, setting you back several hundred dollars, so it isn't something you'd buy simply to store flash games and pirated movies on. Whatever was on the iron key that was wiped was something very important that needed to not only be protected, but encrypted. In January of 2010, Angel26 returned with the following post. Quote, Happy New Year everyone, we're having a birthday party for the old man on the 19th. Party starts at 1500 at the usual. Send your RSVP to Shade. FYI, we're booking a room for three days for anyone coming from out of area and overnight for locals. Come hoist one for Dutch Milo. End quote. To most, this didn't seem out of the ordinary, a birthday bash to celebrate the life of someone that brought so many people together. However, many have interpreted this post to have a different meaning altogether. In the years since this hidden message appeared in the code of LakeCityQuietPills.com, some have tried to tie this gathering, this alleged party, to one of the most intricate assassinations of the last century, that of Muhammad al-Mabu. Now, in the 1970s, Muhammad al-Mabu joined the Muslim Brotherhood in the Gaza Strip. In the mid-1980s, al-Mabu began to associate with Hamas, the organization that petitions for the creation of a Palestinian state. Now, many consider it a terrorist organization, but it has also been serving as a governing body for the Gaza Strip for more than a decade. Over the next two and a half decades, Muhammad al-Mabu earned a reputation in Hamas. In particular, he claimed credit for the 1989 killing of two Israeli soldiers. This action alone made him one of Israelis most wanted. By the mid-2000s, he was serving as the Chief of Logistics and Weapons Procurement for the military wing of Hamas, and was playing a vital role in the burgeoning relationship between Hamas and Iran's Revolutionary Guards. This made Muhammad al-Mabu a target. Towards the end of the early 2000s, he became the target of multiple assassination attempts. He lived in Syria, but often travelled around the Middle East, conducting business for Hamas. He usually travelled under fake names, using fake passports, with security guards. Now, unbeknown to anyone, al computer had been hacked by a Trojan software in early of January 2010. al booked a flight to Dubai and stayed there for at least two days. On this trip, he was not going to be followed by bodyguards who would arrive a day after him. For at least 24 hours, al would be in a foreign nation, isolated and alone. On January 19th of 2010, Muhammad al mabu arrived in Dubai, UAE. He was flying alone, under a fake name, and with no security guards. Earlier that day, his trip had been preceded by a small network of men and women, numbering in around two dozen in total. These individuals had arrived in Dubai using fake names and passports of their own and began coordinating their efforts to track al mabu They likely knew the ins and outs of each hotel and were waiting in the lobbies of every hotel, awaiting his arrival. On at least two occasions, these men and women would enter restrooms to briefly change their disguise and don a wig or exchange items of clothing. The captured footage also showed al mabu arriving at the al Bustin Rotana Hotel, room 230, where two men were standing in the lobby wearing tennis gear and holding tennis rackets. As al mabu made his way to his hotel room, one operative remained in the lobby and began reporting into the other operatives. At this point, the other operatives, who were all in the hotel and the surrounding area, began to converge on his location. 
A man whose fake passport named as Peter Elvinger made a phone call from the business centre of another hotel nearby. He requested the room directly across from El Mabu, room 237. This was all captured by security cameras. When another hotel guest walked out of a nearby elevator, one of the operatives attempted to distract them while the other operative continued breaking into room 230, as they made short work of the door's lock. When El Mabu returned to the room at around 8.30pm, he had no suspicions whatsoever. The door unlocked normally, and he entered, completely and totally unaware that there were a handful of individuals waiting for him inside. Roughly 20 minutes later, the operatives in room 230 began exiting the room and returned to room 237. They then began to exit the hotel one by one with all of their belongings in tow. Within four hours, almost all of these men and women left Dubai entirely with their flights taking them to all across the globe. To Frankfurt, Germany, Bangkok, Thailand, Zurich, Switzerland, Rome, Italy, Johannesburg, South Africa, Paris, France and Doha, Qatar. Muhammad El Mabu's body wasn't discovered until the next morning, roughly 12 hours after he had been killed. When hotel staff checked in on Muhammad El Mabu the next morning on January 20th, 2010, they noted that the door was locked from the inside. This made the death appear natural, and investigators originally noted the death as being from natural causes. Prior to his death, El Mabu had been injected with a fast-acting muscle relaxant, but which acted as a paralyzing agent. Despite remaining conscious through the preceding events, El Mabu was unable to resist. El Mabu was electrocuted prior to his death, and when he was finally killed via suffocation from a pillow. However, this was not the first visit of the assassins to Dubai. Almost all of these men and women had visited Dubai numerous times in the preceding months, allowing them to get a feel for the hotels and the quickest routes between locations. They had checked into various hotels in the region, each of them being hotels that Muhammad Al Mabu had previously stayed at. They all had been using fake passports, which included the UK, Ireland, Australia, France and Germany. In addition, several of these operatives had made phone calls to a number in Austria. How these passports were able to be obtained still remains a mystery which only deepened when the countries where the passports were issued from investigated further, which I'll come back to in a little bit. Now we get into the suspects in this case. So Dubai's police chief, Lieutenant General Dahi Kafan Timin, announced his preliminary conclusions on February 18th that, and I quote, Our investigations reveal that Mossad is involved in the murder of Al Mabu. It is 99%, if not 100%, that Mossad is standing behind the murder. End quote. After identifying the assumed names and photographs of 11 suspects on the 20th of February 2010, he said his force had evidence directly incriminating the Mossad in the murder, adding that among the new evidence available, there were telephone communications between the suspected killers. On February 24th of 2010, Dubai police identified 15 additional persons suspected of being involved in Al Mabu's assassination. According to journalist Yuzi Mamani, the decision to kill Al Mabu was authorized by Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu after being suggested by Mir Dangan, the head of the Mossad, at a meeting in early January of 2010. Later in March, Dubai police chief said, and I quote, I am now completely sure that it was Mossad. End quote. And furthermore went on to say, and I quote, I have presented the Dubai prosecutor with a request for the arrest of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the head of Mossad for the murder of Mohammed Al Mabu. End quote. Now, I just got to say, listeners, I do apologize if I get these names wrong. I have a very bad pronunciation problem. I really am not very good at pronouncing things, so I do apologize profusely for if I get these names wrong. 
Dubai police said the assassins spent little time in the Emirate, arriving less than a day before the assassination, killing Al Mabu between his arrival at 3.15pm and 9pm that night, and subsequently leaving the country before his discovery. The identities used by 11 of the suspects have been made public. The total number of suspects stands at 18, all of whom entered the country using fake or fraudulently obtained passports. Dubai police, who stated that their airport personnel were trained by Europeans to identify fake documents, said that the European passports were not forgeries. British, Canadian and Irish governments said the passports bearing their country's name were, quote, either fraudulently obtained or outright fakes, end quote. All the stolen passports are from countries that do not need a visa for the UAE, which is interesting given the supposed connection between this assassination and the listings found in the HTML code uncovered by Reddit users. Now we come to the passports by country. So, in the United Kingdom, six passports with the name Paul John Keeley, Stephen Daniel Hodes, Mevelyn Adam Mildener, Jonathan Lewis Graham, James Leonard Clark, and Michael Lawrence Barney, and another six passports with the names Daniel Mark Schroener, Gabrielle Barney, Roy Allen Cannon, Stephen Keith Drake, Mark Sklur, and Philip Carr. On the 24th of May 2010, another British suspect was publicised, Britain Christopher Lockwood. It was later discovered that, it, that this suspect had stolen the identity of an Israeli soldier who was killed in the Yom Kippur War. Now we move to the Republic of Ireland. Three passports with the names Gail Folliard, Kevin Davison, and Evan Dennings, and another three with the names Ivy Britton, Anna Shumana Clasby, and Chester Halvey. Now, interestingly enough, Ireland, Ireland's Department of Foreign Affairs declared that the passports used by the suspects were either counterfeit and stated that it was unable to identify any of the, those three individuals as being genuine Irish. According to the department, Ireland has never issued passports in those names. While the names and signatures were fake, the numbers on the passports were genuine and belonged to Irish citizens. Four of the five citizens have been contacted by the Department of Foreign Affairs, all of whom lived in Ireland. None of them had travelled to the Middle East or lost their passports or had them stolen. Now we come to France. One passport with the name Peter Elwinger, suspected of being used by the hit squad leader and logistical coordinator, plus another three passports with the names David Bernard Lapierrier, Melanie Hurd, and Eric Rassinux. According to a spokesperson of the French Foreign Affairs Ministry, the passport in the name of Elvinger was counterfeit. The French government summoned the Israeli Charge d'Affaires in Paris on the 18th of February, and the French Foreign Ministry issued a statement expressing a deep concern about the malicious and fraudulent use of these French administrative documents. End quote. In Germany, one passport had the name of Michael Bodenheimer. Now, German officials initially said the passport number which they received from the authorities in Dubai was either incomplete or does not exist. Later, it was revealed that the passport was genuine. According to German federal investigators, an Israeli man named Michael Bodenheimer acquired German citizenship in June 2008 after providing immigration officials in Cologne with the pre-World War II address of his grandparents and his parents' marriage certificate. He stated that he was an Israeli citizen and gave his address as a temporary virtual office that he had bought in Herzliya. As of the 22nd of February, the office does not exist anymore. A Michael Bodenheimer, who lives in Israel and holds dual American and Israeli citizenship, said he did not know how his identity was stolen. One person who has, a, has the passport name Yuri Brodsky was arrested in Poland in June, early June 2010. He was in Cologne with Michael Bodenheimer 
Now we come to Australia. So three passports with the names Nicole Sandra Maccabee, who at the time was heavily pregnant, according to her mother, Adam Corman and Joshua Aaron Kreiser. Adam Marcus Corman, an Israeli-Australian citizen living in Israel, said that he was shocked and angry that his identity was stolen. In addition, the three other names are names of residents of Israel. A man named Joshua Kreiser works in a hotel located in Jerusalem. The names used on the British passports belong to suspects who live in Israel and hold dual citizenships. An analyst of the assassination in the Jewish Chronicle noted this is the first real piece of information that could link Israel to the operation. End quote. According to Palestine Chronicle Post, Mossad is known to use the identities of Israel's with dual citizenship. In 1997, two Mossad agents travelled with Canadian passports of dual citizenship to a man in a botched attempt on the life of Hamas leader Khalad Massal. According to former Kasta Viktor Ostrovsky, a Canadian citizen, the Mossad formally asked permission to use the passports of Israelis with dual nation- nationality, but I believe at some point they stopped asking. End quote. A Jerusalem-based British citizen whose name was used on one of the passports told Reuters news agency that he'd never been to Dubai and had no connection with the Mossad or the killing. He said that he did not know how this happened or who chose my name or why. In addition, three other Israelis whose names appeared on the passports reported to the Israeli Channel 2 News that they did not understand the coincidence and were not related at all to the suspects. In the wake of the revelation that passports of British citizens had figured predominantly in the operation, the United Kingdom's serious organised crime agency, SOCA, launched its own investigation into the matter and plans to interview the first round of British passport holders that had their identities stolen. The British Foreign Office also summoned the Israeli ambassador on the 18th of February to share information on the matter. The British government denied claims that Mossad had tipped off the UK that their passports would be used for an operation. The photographs of 11 of the suspected killers were added to Interpol's most wanted list on the 18th of February with a note specifying that they had been published since the identities adopted by the suspects were faked. Dubai airport officials carried out routine retinal scans on 11 of the suspects sought in the assassination when they entered the country and Dubai police said they would publish the scans through Interpol. Ynet News said some hit squad members flew to Iran after the assassination. 17 of the suspects used Mastercards branded by Metabank or Storm Lake, Iowa, but issued by Pioneer Inc., which were used to buy their plane tickets in other countries before their arrival in Dubai. Other credit cards show ties to Britain's nationwide banking society IDT Finance of Gilbrater and Germany's DZ Bank AG Pioneer is an Israeli startup now based in New York with R&D offices and a majority of its employees in Tel Aviv. CEO Yulval Tal is a former member of the IDF Special Forces. Pioneer is is held by three capital, venture capital firms, Greylock Partners, Carmel Ventures, and Crossbar Capital. Greylock, which has offices in the U.S. and Herzula Israel, were established by Mossi Moore, a former military intelligence captain in the Israeli army. Carmel Ventures is an Israeli venture capital fund based in Herzula. Crossbar Partners is run by Charlie Ferdman, who is also managing director of the BRM Group, a venture capital fund also in Herzliya that was co-founded by Nur Brackett, the former mayor of Jerusalem. Mossad hates HQ are located in Herzliya. The New York Post originally reported that Tal had disappeared since his company was identified as the issuer of some of the killer's credit cards, with his Brooklyn neighbours telling the NYPD that he left the country. He reappeared a day later, however. The Dubai police has found the DNA of one person and some fingerprints of other persons which are suspected. The chief of Dubai, Police Lieutenant General Dahi Kaufman Tamin, said that there are 648 hours of video films in which the 27 suspected persons are appeared and announced that the police found the DNA of four suspected agents. Now we come to the arrests. So two Palestinians 
Ahmed Hassan, an intelligence operative of the Fatah-controlled Palestinian Authority, PA, and Awar Sheikhaiber, an employee of the PA in Ramallah, were arrested in Jordan and handed over to Dubai as suspected accomplices to the assassination, suspected of giving logistical assistance such as providing car rentals and hotel bookings. Hamas claimed that their arrest was evidence linking the Palestinian Authority to the killing, while the Palestinian Authority retorted by accusing the arrested Palestinians of being members of Hamas. The two men were reported to be related to one another and to have lived in Gaza until Hamas took over full control of the Strip in 2006. One went straight to Dubai while the other joined him after first going to Ramallah where he was sentenced to death by a Palestinian Authority court, a punishment generally handed down to Israeli collaborators. The recruitment of Ahmed Hassan by the Mossad could have been done when he was imprisoned by Israel for a month in June 2007 for his involvement with al Matias Brigades, the military wing for Fatah. He came to the UAE in 2008, according to a family source. Dubai authorities said that one of the two Palestinians held in custody met a suspect in a suspicious place, time, and manner, while the second is closely related to him and was found to have already been sentenced to death by one of the Palestinian parties. The second suspect is wanted by Hamas. They are both being held to ensure that no one comes to execute them. A Hart's report based on information from an unnamed Arab diplomatic source of the Dubai police had asked Syria to detain Mohammed Nassar and other Hamas men for questioning. According to media reports, Nassar was in Dubai in the days before Al Mabu's killing and was intimately familiar with his schedule and whereabouts. Dubai Police Chief Dahi Kafam says on the 3rd of January 2010, he requested for the Dubai prosecutor to issue arrest warrants for Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the head of the Mossad, Mir Degan, for the murder. He also announced Canada had arrested a suspect who was among the purity group which arrived in the country and left it before the crime was committed. The suspect was reported to be one amongst a number of suspects from whom Interpol has issued red corner notices on behalf of the UAE. The following day, however, the Canadian embassy in the UAE denied this but said they were liaising with authorities back in Canada to verify the status of the arrest. Now we come to Alexander Vernon and Yuri Brodsky. So on June 4th of 2010, Polish police arrested a man at Warsaw Airport carrying a false passport with the name Yuri Brodsky, who was wanted by German authorities. A European arrest warrant from Germany specified that Brodsky, also known as Alexander Verin or Varin, was suspected of being involved in illegally obtaining a German passport for another man known as Michael Bodenheimer, who was alleged to have taken part in Mohammed El Mabu's murder. A Polish court approved Brod- Brodsky's extradition to Germany on July 7th pending appeal. However, the extradition was approved on the basis that Brodsky would not face German charges of espionage, instead he would only face the lesser charge of falsely obtaining documents. Brodsky was transferred to German custody on the 12th of August, released on a 100,000 euro bail on 13th of August, and flown back to Israel on the 14th of August. The German prosecutor indicated that Brodsky would not have to face trial after all, but instead the matter can now be dealt with by written proceedings, most likely resulting in a fine. At the end of 2010, Germany suspended the case of falsifying documents in lieu of a 60,000 fine. However, a German arrest warrant on the espionage charges remains in effect. Now we come to the arrest of a top suspect. On 11th of October 2010, the National of Abu Dhabi published an interview with Dubai's police chief, Lieutenant General Dahi Kafam Tamin, in which he claims that a Western country had arrested a top suspect of killing Al Mabu about two months earlier. The ambassador of the Western country does not want to name the country in the name of the arrested suspect. Tamim expressed frustration at the lack of detail. Why is it that every time an Israel is involved in a crime, everyone goes mute? We want everyone who's dealing with this case to deal with it as a security case and to not pay attention to any other consideration. End quote. 
Well, some of the assassins had paid their way in cash, and many of them had used Payoneer, a specific type of prepaid credit card. These credit cards have been branded in the United States, but it is rumored that the CEO of Payoneer, Yuval Tal, had direct ties to Israeli intelligence, Mossad, due to the victim being a high-ranking member of Hamas, as well as being a long-sought target of their intelligence forces, it made sense that Israel was involved in some fashion. Now we come to the conclusion of the investigation. So in February of 2010, the chief of Dubai police publicly stated that this assassination was most likely ordered by Mossad, Israeli's intelligence force. Israel refused the claim. A total of 18 operatives were named. 11 has faces wanted by Interpol, but because they had been using fake identities at the time of this operation, it was unknown who exactly they were. Foreign Affairs Ministry of the UK, France and Ireland stated that the passports used had been fakes. The United States refused to investigate Payoneer's credit card holders. Some people who were suspected as coordinators of the assassins were arrested in Jordan and Poland, but could not be sentenced. They soon disappeared after that. There was also one other very interesting piece about this that no one has ever gotten to the bottom of, although several people have tried. The Thinking Sideways podcast did an episode on this case, and were able to contact and interview several Redditors who investigated this case from the very beginning. One of them, who stated that a who is, which is where you type in the name of a website, and it'll give you all the information about who owns the website, was run on LakeCityQuietPills.com, and it led them back to a small bank branch in the Midwest that had Israeli connections, which really got people wondering just what they had stumbled upon and and whether there really was a link between this Lake City Quiet Pills website and this assassination, although no link has officially ever been found. Here is a sound clip of that exchange, courtesy of the Thinking Sideways podcast. It gets a lot weirder, you know, when we looked at, I think we looked at a who is of the uh, Lake City QuietPills.com domain, and it kind of led us back to a bank that had Israeli connections. And then, but it was just like a small, obscure bank branch. And, uh, uh, yeah, I remember it leading to a, a bank in the Midwest that uh, had ties to Israel. And beyond that, I can't remember. I just remember it was a small a small bank. It wasn't like a big national size bank. Hmm. It was a small local bank with ties to Israel. Now, how all this tied back into this mysterious website was there was a message sent out on January 12th of 2010, just about a week before the assassination unfolded in Dubai. That message invited people out to a birthday celebration for Milo, aka You Religion of Peace, the Reddit user that had died the year prior. The message hidden in Lake City Quiet Pills HTML code stated that the party started at around 1500, roughly fitting in with the time period that Al Mabu was flying into Dubai. Another message was sent out the day before the assassination, quote, we've got 38 rooms in the marriage on 46. Shade has the key cards for locals, pick up at the party, give your travel name to the desk and that's it, no ID needed since we're covering the bill. Keep the room service under 500, okay? The phones there are not secure. Bus for the hotel leaves at 13.30, car service vouchers for a return trip when you're ready to crash. Don't DUI. End quote. These instructions to me seem very odd for a party. I mean, who needs to worry about using a travel name for a birthday party? Who needs to worry about insecure phone lines? What kind of party rents out 38 rooms in a single hotel? The next part of the message was even more interesting. On February 2nd of 2010, roughly two weeks later, that post titled Party Bills read as follows. Quote, here is the final for the party. Hotel rooms, 48341. Limo, 6080. Bus, 569. Bar bill, 18890. Food, 8030. Dances, 8300. Misc tips, 850. Missed expenses, 2840. Med supplies, 180. Fat Tommy and Stu are okay too. Total, 94080. You all did Dutch Milo proud. Thanks. End quote. 
Now, after that, the code for the Lake City Quiet Pills was changed and encrypted, unable to be read again. Now, what was odd about this was shortly after these guys realized Reddit was onto them, they changed to an unbreakable code, then stopped altogether. So, was it really an accident that this code was found the way it was? Or was it by design, a sort of obscurity is the best security, who would ever look through a website's HTML code sort of thing? Stranger still, the subreddit for the investigation, are Lake City Quiet Pills, turned quiet. All the available info had already been poured over, and the only people who would know more won't be speaking about it, and it wouldn't be surprising if people had given up on it. However, there was an interesting post that was made on there. So this po- this message was posted by user U Retirement Plan LCQP, an account created just to make this post, and read as follows: "Quote, it's time to stop. These people are very rich, but that money does not come from Merck work. Shade and Milo were software engineers at a later stage of their life due to injuries sustained in combat. Maybe not Shade, but he still went that route as well. Their jobs were organizing heist smuggling ops. Simple as that. This is why recruitment was largely language-based. Merck work does pay well, but not enough to net you millions of dollars. For operations when your team is only a few men large, that money does not come out of thin air and lets you buy heavy weaponry. Some of these posters members have no back background in Merck work. They do, however, have work in public and private transportation. Milo is definitely real and at a later part of his life started receiving his duties and gave it to others who continue his work. His hobbies were Komsky, web hosting, programming, 3D remodeling, jerking off and organizing jobs as he spent a third part of his life on the web. His organization went under after Shade's suicide. Had, he had cancer anyways. And I think the new one has been operating for three years. I will respect their privacy and hopefully this gives people closure. The initial belief that it's a PMC station in Africa is wrong. Milo had right-wing leanings and recruited like-minded people. Look up what Rhodesia usually means to people nowadays and you'll understand. South Africa is still deemed their home due to the real estate they keep buying up, but they've operated across the world. Also easy to find desperate like-minded people there. A message to the old CQP. I cleared your tracks. Have a good one. End quote. The website was then taken offline with the mystery still remaining behind. It's possible that this was mostly contracting work, stuff like security and bodyguards who often provided protection for companies and business executives. Or was it a hoax? Although this is hard to believe as people don't just leave messages and HTML text behind on a website. In fact, when Thinking Sideways interviewed one of their guests, he had a few thoughts on that. Chief among them was that they had accidentally left this text behind and this wasn't actually where it was being posted, which meant there was another unknown forum where this was being posted and left in the website's HTML text by mistake. Here's a sound clip of that exchange. I think what was happening was that this stuff was being put into the into the uh, root of the website's uh, comments, the HTML comments, by accident. I don't think that that was actually where they were posting the stuff. Um. I think I think that it was some kind of error. You know, I, I used to do a limited amount of web programming when I first got out of the military. It was one of my, you know, in a previous career of mine. I did uh, a little bit of um, PHP, and I think what was going on was that when they developed that website badly at first, because <laughs> it was yeah. clearly, clearly, you know, kind of shade tree construction going on there, that they had done something where it was supposed to comment, uh, you know, supposed to, to, to write out those comments just as a testing feature, and they forgot to remove it. One of the other users in that forum mentioned, oh, I fixed it, then, you know, it shouldn't appear there anymore, you know, like that, Mm. you know, as if, you know, the encryption wasn't working and now it is kind of thing. But it's just weird enough that I think it makes people develop even 
strange your theories like well then he's also hosting this web this image hosting site you know this religion of peace guy and i think that it's not just so that he can post his pornography and his jailbait pictures but also so that he can post uh steganography um and put hidden messages inside jpeg and gif images and stuff mm -hmm. and i don't know that that's what was going on i kind of doubt it yeah. these guys don't seem like they were that tech savvy to be honest i mean if 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 they were posting their job board in the comments of their main page, then <laughs> yeah, I don't think steganography is in their vocabulary. In addition to the assassination of Muhammad al-Mabu remaining unsolved to this day, the story behind Lake City Choir Pills remains unresolved. With that, this case remains open, but with many unanswered questions, it still remain unanswered. Please rate the show and let me know what you guys think about this and many other cases I have covered. You can follow me on all major social media platforms, YouTube, BitChute, Dailymotion. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Links are all down below in the description. If you have a case you'd like me to look at or cover, don't hesitate to send me a message. I'm your host, and this has been the Unanswered Questions Podcast. Until next time. Next on Unanswered Questions. Crane was found bludgeoned to death in his Scottsdale, Arizona apartment while on tour in June 1978, 